Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. How we how we doing this morning? Doing all right. All right. Feels good for me when I'm up there and I can hear everyone singing already at the beginning. I'm like, all right, it's a good crowd. It's a good crowd. So uh, I, uh, I appreciate everybody that uh, that made their way out today and that, that's here. I uh, wanted to uh, bring something up that we've been talking about maybe last week. Maybe you've been on vacation, haven't heard it. Uh, but Easter is uh, is right around the corner, just a couple of weeks away. And so I want to uh, just just real quick talk about. Uh, what Easter is. We've always had a joke that Easter is the Super Bowl Sunday in the church world, and uh, we, we joke about that, but we say that uh, because we, we see a lot of guests on Easter, and we believe that Easter is an opportunity for you to invite your friends to church. Uh, and so uh, we have had two services in the past. We're on our way to probably going back to that in the fall. Uh, but for Easter specifically, to be able to handle those crowds, we're going to have multiple services. And, and so uh, I want to encourage us not just to assume that Easter is the biggest Sunday of the year, uh, but to take it upon ourselves as a family to make Easter uh, the biggest Sunday of the year. And so what we introduced last week, maybe you came in today and, and you realize that you're, you're sitting on some cards there. Uh, those, those are invite cards for Easter, and we're giving those to you uh, with purpose. We want you to invite your friends your family, your neighbors on Easter Sunday. We want you to use this as an opportunity just to, to, to be a friend to someone, to be able to spark conversations of faith, to invite them to church. Uh, maybe, maybe invite your family. If your grandma says, hey, will you come over on Easter Sunday? Say, grandma, I'll do that if you come to my church with me or if you get the whole family to come to my church with me, all right? So we want to uh, make sure that we're being intentional in that way. We've got some awesome things planned for Easter. We're gonna be celebrating baptisms uh, and so if, if maybe you think that's your next step, uh, if you've not been baptized yet, have not celebrated that, we'd love for you to sign up. We'll have more information about that later. Uh, but I want to just challenge us. The question is not if you're coming on Easter Sunday, you're going to be here. And the question is not uh, if you're bringing a friend, because I just told you that you have to, all right? It's a, it's a shameless guilt trip, right? The, the question is, who are you bringing with you on Easter Sunday? And I said that a couple weeks ago. And there's always uh, people that are listening to the things I say and then want to call me on it. So someone came up to me right after church and they're like, who are you bringing with you, Mark? And I was like, ooh, that's a good question, right? So I texted my friend Jason this week and I said, hey, Jason, you got to help me out. Um, I challenged the whole church to bring a friend and now I need someone to come to church with me or I'm going to look really bad. And he said, you want your Jewish friend to come to your church? And I said, I sure do. I want my Jewish friend to come to my church. So I'm hoping that you all can see Jason on Easter Sunday, uh, that we get a chance to celebrate that Jesus is risen, to do that together as a family, to see the gospel proclaimed and to celebrate. Uh, and so I wanted to just, just, uh, just ask you to, to pray about that, to think about who you're inviting and think about how we're going to celebrate that week. So uh, let, me, let me transition. We, uh, we've been in this series in the book of Mark. Uh, yes, that's my name. No, I'm not an egomaniac. It's a mere coincidence and I'm not trying to be crazy. All right. So uh, we're in the book of Mark and we know that, that there are a couple different gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the life, the ministry, the story of Jesus from a different perspective. And so we think by studying those different gospels, we can get a different perspective on the life of Jesus. And the book of Mark uh, kind of talks that Jesus is the suffering servant and the son of God. It gives us that perspective. And we've been going through this week after week after week. We did some of the chapters.
chapters in the fall. We're doing some in the spring. And we did that because the world will often tell you, oh, here's what Christians believe. Here's what Christians do. But we don't want to uh, just take that at face value. We want to look at scripture. We want to get inside of scripture. We want to see who Jesus said he was and what he was about. And we want to let that shape our beliefs. And so we've been going through the book of Mark week after week to see what Jesus says about himself and what he says that should mean for his followers. And so this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, if you've got a Bible there. If not, there's one under your chair. There's probably one under your seat. If you don't have a copy of God's word, we'd love for you to open that up. And that's our gift to you if you want to take that home. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 31. Uh, On many of the Bibles, it's on page 775. Uh, But we're going to be in Mark 14, verse 12, talking through what is known as the the Last Supper and Peter's denial. And so it says this, Mark 14, verse 12, page 775. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? Let me uh, just just pause there real quick. A little background. Jesus was Jewish. His disciples were Jewish. And if you don't know what Passover is, Passover is one of the festivals that the Jews would historically celebrate to remember, be reminded, to celebrate what God had done for them as a country, as a nation, as a people. They had been God's people since the Old Testament. And this specific festival, this party, this celebration of Passover celebrated them being brought out of slavery in Egypt. And so when God wanted to bring the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, maybe, maybe you know that story. You know the story of Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. But to get Pharaoh's attention, to get Egypt's attention, God sent a series of plagues. Now, this is going to sound like I'm making it up, but I promise I'm not. Sometimes God works in mysterious ways, but God did a couple different things. He turned water into blood. He sent a plague of just a ton of frogs all over the land of Egypt. There was, there was lice, there was flies, there was livestock dying, there were boils, there was a hailstorm, there were locusts, there was all this crazy stuff going on. And the final plague that God used to bring Israel out of slavery was the angel of death passing through Egypt at night while everyone slept. And that angel of death would, would sweep through the land and, and the firstborn of every family would die unless the people did something. So God said to the Israelites, he said, I need you to, to, to kill a lamb from your flock and I need you to paint the blood of that lamb over the door of your house so that the angel of death knows to pass over your house and not kill the firstborn, right? So the angel of death passing over. Now we're celebrating Passover, right? All right, it's making, it's making some sense now. So the Israelites would remember what God had done to bring them out of Egypt, how he had spared their people, and they would celebrate Passover. And this Passover is kind of pointing forward to the life and ministry of Jesus. Here's what verse 13 says. Follow along with me. It says, so Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem, talking about his disciples, with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. 
Classic Jesus moment there. He's giving directions and everything that's in his plan, everything that he's working in God's plan and God's timeline just seems to happen and just seems to come together and just seems to make sense. And so he says to these disciples, hey, we're going to have a meal. Go into the town. You'll see a guy. Say this secret phrase to the guy and that guy will know what you're talking about. And that's just how it was with Jesus. Because he was living on God's timeline, because he was part of God's plan, history was working together for this plan. He had set this up so that his friends could go and get this room ready. Jesus knew that they would see this man. Jesus knew that they could say this sentence and and everything would just work. And I always wonder what it was like for those two disciples that were in that moment if they were just like, how does he do this stuff, right? He's just that guy that kind of knows everyone and makes everything happen. And this would have been a, a rare moment because often in this culture, the, the women of each family would have carried the jars of water from the well to each home for the day. And so even just walking around and being like, hey, why is that guy carrying the water for his family would have stood out to the disciples. And then the fact that they're supposed to go up to that guy that already stands out and say a sentence and he's like, oh, hey, why don't you guys come to my house and have a meal with your friends? It's not completely normal. And yet it's what we see with the life of Jesus. History is, is God's story, and Jesus is part of God's story and God's timeline. And so history, this moment, this Passover meal, and everything that's leading up to Easter points us forward to the life and ministry, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 17 says this. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the 12. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. If you ever throw a dinner party, don't, don't invite Jesus because this sentence is apparently just telling us this guy knows how to ruin a dinner party, right? He's, he's kind of been doing this since the, the, the middle of the book of Mark. The beginning of the book of Mark, he was like just starting his ministry. He was teaching. He was doing miracles. He was doing cool things. And somewhere around chapter nine, he started not just doing miracles, but saying things like, hey, have I ever told you guys that I'm going to die and give my life? And his disciples were like, wait, what, what? And he would say, hey, by the way, I'm going to die. I'm going to be uh, crucified on a cross. I'm going to be buried. I'm going I'm to resurrect from the dead. Have I mentioned that? And things started getting a, a lot more serious in the beginning, I'm sorry, in the middle of the book of Mark. And this is an example of where Jesus is just kind of saying it like it is. Because the, the time is running out. The plan is coming together. History is working in God's plan. And he's just got to say what's going on. And so he's in this room enjoying this meal that he set up. He got the Airbnb and be ready for the fellas and they're hanging out and they're they're together for this meal and all of a sudden he's like oh by the way did I uh, I tell you guys one of you is going to betray me and they're just kind of looking around the room and thinking like wait 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 what did Jesus mean to say that does he know what he does he know what he said and just casually says yeah one of one of you guys that's hanging out here eating with me is going to betray me verse 19 kind of I don't know how else to say it. it cracks me up. I read it because, I, again, I just wonder what was going on in the disciples' heads in that moment, what they were thinking. It says this, greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? Am I? Am I he, what he said, one of us, am, am I the one? The actual literal translation of the original language there is, surely not I. And you can picture them if you'd been in that room that they're all like, okay, well, Jesus just said, one of us is going to betray him. It's, surely it's, it's not me, right? It's not, it's not me. I read that this week, and I, I thought back to a, a moment in, in college. I went to a, a church 
uh, in Indiana. Uh, some of you may know uh, Indiana is a basketball state, big basketball state. That's where they find their identity. And actually, the church I went to, there was a guy there whose claim to fame was that he was in the movie Hoosiers. When they filmed Hoosiers, some of the people were real actors, and some of the guys that were just like on the basketball team that no one, they weren't really going to have speaking parts, they just went and found like actual 19-year-olds from Indiana who had played high school and even the first year of college basketball and put them in the movie. And so there was a guy in my church in college, he was a dentist, but his claim to fame was he was one of the five starters in Hoosiers. So we always called him Hoosiers guy, because I didn't know his name. I was in college. He was older than me, whatever, you know. So, but I'll never forget one week, Kristen and I were at church, and he walked in like awkwardly late. And I was like, hey, there's, there's Hoosiers guy, right? And he sits down. And this is such a random moment, but it's frozen in my mind forever. He sits down, and all of a sudden, you just kind of see this like, this wave kind of go out, this wave of awkwardness. And everyone in the church is like looking around and, and, and it's just a couple, frozen, a couple rows in front of me and everyone's looking and they start, they start turning and doing this. And he sits down to his wife and he whispers something in her ear and she starts laughing and, and then he starts leaning up. He's like sitting in his section of friends. He says something to a guy in front of him and the guy's like, oh, I mean, he says something to the guy next. And all of a sudden it, it, it happens. It's really swelling out. I don't know how else to say it. It was, it was the worst smell I've ever smelled in my life, right? It was just, it was just like a wave going out. And, and he's like, they're all laughing. They're like all a click, you know? And so he's like, ha like blaming it on his friends and tapping them on the shoulder. And people behind him are like, is it you, is it you? And he's like, no, no, not me. And, and they all start looking around. And I, I, I could read his lips. This guy said this in this moment. He, he said, did someone step in dog poop? And they start, they all start looking around and looking at their shoes and, and he's, you know, they're, they're all like looking, they're doing this and they're laughing and like tapping each other and they're pointing at people. And this is like, this is like a, a 10 row event. Now imagine if this whole side of the room was just like, what is going on? Right. And this guy who walked in late and laughed and whispered and started this whole thing, all of a sudden his, his wife's like, is it you? And and he looks down in his shoe, and I just see this guy go, oh, right? And he, and he stands up, and, and he walks out of church, and everyone's like pointing and laughing. They're all his friends. It's a good time. But, but from that day on, my wife and I didn't call him dude that was in Hoosiers. We called him dog poop guy. I, and I still, I still don't know his name, but I, I pictured that kind of, kind of like this moment with the disciples, right? Where like something, something's not good. Something stinks and they're all kind of like, well, it's, it's not me. I'll tell you what, it's, it's not me. It's, it might, might be him, might be, might be here. It could be, could be that guy. It's definitely, definitely not me. And in that moment, he looks down and he's just like, oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's me. I guess, it, I guess it's me. And that's exactly how I see this taking shape with the disciples, Right? Jesus said, one of you in the room is going to betray me. And they're like, well, surely, surely not I. It's not going to be me, Lord. It's not, it's not my problem. And so you can see them kind of like passing the buck and saying, no, no, this, this isn't me. In verse 20, Jesus starts to get down to, to business. He doesn't mince words. He says this in verse 20. It is one of you 12 who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it would be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Jesus is saying, listen, one of you has already made plans to betray me, to turn me over to the rulers, the people who want to crucify and kill me, and I know what's taking place in your heart, and let's, let's not hide it anymore. It's going to happen. It's planned, and it's about to happen. It's, it's going down. And this version, this snapshot, this gospel of Mark's story doesn't say it, but in that moment, things shift and some people leave the room. Verse 22, 
The room kind of changes and and the the scene changes and we see this. Verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is historically eating the meal that was celebrated and known as Passover, but he's kind of for the first time doing what we would call communion, maybe what we have called the bread and the cup, what you've celebrated at at your, your church growing up or what you've celebrated in your faith practice. He's setting that in motion and he asks us going forward to do the same thing and to celebrate the same thing. See, the bread that he was taking and breaking that moment would represent his body that he would give on the cross, his body that was broken on the cross for us. But his body is also symbolized by bread, not just because it was broken, but because bread in that day was everything. It's kind of like gluten in this day when you find out, some of you found out you're gluten-free and you're like, what doesn't have gluten? And you're like, everything has gluten, right? It's just, it's just in everything you eat. Bread is symbolic of every food that they would eat back then. And so when you say that my body is the bread, it was like saying my body can sustain you, can carry you, can give you strength, can give you health. My body is being offered to you on your behalf. The bread represents the body of Jesus and the wine that they would have had in that moment that we'll celebrate here today with juice would have represented that Jesus' blood would be poured out when he gave his life on the cross. His hands and his feet were pierced. His side was stabbed with a sword and his blood would have poured out not because he deserved that punishment but to take that punishment for you and I and for our sins. And so Jesus is saying in this moment, he said, listen, God has had a covenant with his people. Not a contract. A contract, if either party breaks their end, then things are off. A covenant, no matter what the other side does, you keep your word. And God has had that with the Israelites as they've been up and down and up and down and not kept their word and not really always done a great job. God was faithful to the Israelites. And Jesus is saying, today, as I give my my body, as you watch me give my life for you, this is the beginning. This is the new covenant for God's people. This symbolizes the new covenant for God's people. Jesus is saying, I will be here and I will keep my end of the bargain for God's people, which we've got to ask. All right, well then, who are, who are God's people? Verse 27 says this, is a story, this snapshot continues. On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. Man, Jesus, just not really earning some friends this night, right? He's like, hey, you're going to betray me. Oh, by the way, have I mentioned all of you are going to desert me? Just some fun Fun hanging out at the Mount of Olives kind of story time, right? He says, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd, he's talking about himself, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. 
You can't see it in this text as these stories are happening, but after that last supper, that communion, that Passover meal, we get some snapshots from the other gospels that Judas knew he was the one that was going to betray Jesus, and so he just kind of slipped out of the room. When Jesus was saying, my, my body is the bread of life, and it's going to be broken for you, and it's going to sustain you, and my blood is going to be poured out, and it's going to pay the price for your sins, Judas wasn't there for that. Maybe it was that he didn't care about that. Maybe it was that he didn't want to celebrate that, but we know that because he left the scene. And he wasn't around to hear this message. He wasn't around to be focused on who Jesus was and what his life meant and what it was going to mean for this audience. And Peter, he stayed around, just like the other disciples. And I don't know if they understood what was happening or if they just thought Judas had to go to the bathroom or had to go pay some taxes or who knows what they thought in that moment. He was gone. But as Jesus said, hey, you guys are going to deny me, they were like, no, 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 no. Surely not I. Surely, no, no, not me, not me, not us, Jesus. We're, we're with you. We're the disciples. We're here. We're faithful. We're loyal. Jesus said, no, you're, you're all going to scatter. And yet Jesus is saying he's the beginning of this new covenant, that he's going to keep his word to God's people. Well, who are God's people? Because it seems like all the people that are God's people in this story are just being unfaithful and turning their backs and walking away and denying Jesus and being the opposite of loyal. Who are God's people? There's some verses in the book of Romans that kind of echoes some of these things. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as you look at this story, it probably doesn't feel like a stretch. This is the inner circle of Jesus. These are his people. And they're betraying him. And we're told that they're going to deny him. We're told that they have sin in their hearts. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand today and say, hey, did anyone sin this week or anything like that? But my guess is most of us in this room know that we're not perfect and that we mess up. Most of us could probably admit that there are times that we have jealousy in our hearts or anger in our hearts. We're not really on board with God's plan. We have sin in our lives, and that sin separates us from God. Scripture says everyone has sinned. We choose sin. We choose our path and our knowledge rather than God's path and God's knowledge. And because of that sin, because it's the presence of that sin in our lives, we've separated ourselves from God. We're walking toward death. The wages of our sin, the price of our sin is death. But there's some other verses in Romans and one of them really gets at the point of this passage today. Even though we've all sinned, even though the price of our sin is death, Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I know this, this isn't a series in the book of Romans today, but I think that's the big idea of this passage. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because you look at this passage and you think like, all right, Jesus is hanging out. Jesus is having this meal with his inner circle, with his people. And he's saying, oh, did I mention I'm going to give my life And one of you in this room is going to betray me. He's getting ready to take communion in that moment with the guy who's going to betray him and sell him to the rulers who will kill him and crucify him on the cross. And yet Jesus was willing to give his life and give his body, not just for the one who would betray him, but Jesus 
was in the room with all of these guys that he's saying, hey, when I die, you're going to scatter like cowards. You're going to run away. And so Jesus was giving his body for those who would betray him and those who would scatter and those who would deny him and those who would sin against him. And we're not talking about Judas and the other disciples anymore. We're talking about you and I. Jesus knew that we would sin. Jesus knew that people had sinned. Jesus knew that we think that our way is better than God's way. And while we were still sinners, as we are sinning, while we are defined by sin, a thousand years ago, a hundred years ago, ten years ago, one minute ago, in that argument you had with your family on the way to church, I don't know, I'm just guessing, right? But while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. He knowingly, willingly gave his life as a sacrifice for sinful people. And you and I are sinful people. It wasn't like he found out after the fact, hey, wow, I thought I could trust that Judas guy and he just turned his back on me. Wait a minute, I, these disciples have traveled with me for years. I thought they were my peeps. And now they're just, yeah, they all scattered. They're all, they're all running. They're all denying me and, and living in fear and, and hiding out. No, he knew those things and still made the decision to go to the cross and give his life. How many of your decisions would you still make in life if you knew the end result, if you knew the outcome? No shame on anyone in the room, but... I have some friends that have told me before, they have some tattoos they got in college that if they knew what they knew now, if they knew how wrinkly they would be, they would not get that tattoo still. I have some friends that have said, yeah, I used to date that person. If I'd known how that was going to work out, I would not have dated that person. Had some friends that bought homes when the economy crashed about 10 years ago, and they said, yeah, if, if, we, if we knew what was going to happen, if I knew I was going to lose my job, I would have never bought that house. You ever drive a certain way and all of a sudden you, you come up on a, on a crash and you're like, oh good, I'm going to be in traffic for an hour. And you're like, if only I had known, I would, I would take the other way. If we, if we know, we would drive different ways. We would date different people, marry different people, not get tattoos, not take certain jobs. We would change our actions based on the outcome. Jesus knew the outcome and knows the outcome, and he still gave his life for you and I. He still gave his body and let it be broken. For you and I, he still shed his blood to pay the price for sins that we have committed and will commit. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I hope that that statement hits you. I hope that it connects with you. I hope you feel the power of that statement. You feel the love of that statement because that's not to bring shame to anyone. No, Jesus didn't do that because he was expected to or because he was supposed to. He did that because he loves us. He didn't do it because we deserve it. He did it because he wanted to show us grace and show us mercy that we do not deserve. Sometimes we joke about what we'd do if we had one day left to live. It's like a classic dinner party question, right? Hey, what would you do if you had one day left to live? And people are always like, I would go skydiving. I would go to my favorite restaurant and eat the worst meal ever because it wouldn't really matter. I couldn't put on weight or I couldn't die of a heart attack. I would, I would do this and I would do this. I would go to vacation on this place. Jesus was in the final weekend of his life, the final day or days. And he chose to live on mission. He chose to give his life he chose to break bread with people who would deny him and who would 
walk away from him. And he did that for me and he did that for you. Jesus knew what would happen. Jesus knew what was going to happen and he gave his life anyway. And when we know that, when we see that, when we feel that, when we connect the dots that that we've sinned against God and that our sin has a price, but that Jesus gave his life to pay the price, we're faced with a decision. What What do I do with that? Well, Judas was right there. He was right there in that moment. So being close to Jesus, being around Jesus, having a knowledge of Jesus isn't enough. So what is enough? There's a verse in Romans chapter 10 that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's all about who Jesus is and what he's done. You and I are not without sin. You and I did not live lives that are sin-free, but Jesus did. And so when he gave his life, he was paying the price for our sin. And by knowing that, and by trusting in the gift of his life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, we're trusting in the fact that he paid the price for our sins. That goes against what we think. We don't like when someone else picks up our tab or picks up the check. We like to argue about that. But part of our repentance of walking the wrong way is to say, I'm going I'm to turn this way and I'm going to walk with Jesus. Not because I'm good enough, not because I'm enough, but because he gave his life and he paid the price. And just to bring this full circle, when the Israelites were celebrating Passover, the only way the angel of death would pass over their home is if they painted the, the blood of a lamb over their, over their doorpost. And so in the Old Testament, we see that God's people had to trust in the blood of a lamb for them to escape death and for them to live. And the New Testament, this new covenant tells us that Jesus is the lamb of God. And so his blood being spread over our lives, us identifying with his blood is the only way that we escape death and punishment, the only way that we can know God and the only way that we can be found in a relationship with him. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Metaphorically, God's people had to trust in the blood of God's lamb. It wasn't their work. It wasn't anything they could do. They were trusting in that sacrifice and trusting that that sacrifice was enough for them. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Following Jesus is simple, but it's profound. And hanging out with Jesus, being around Jesus, the modern day equivalent of that would be coming to church or knowing a lot about church or being spiritual or talking about faith is not enough. And it terrifies me in moments that I, that I think about that, that there would be people who possibly hang out with, with movement church people or, or come to movement church and have not recognized that yet, that, that being around Jesus is not enough, that you have to openly declare that Jesus is your Lord, that you know you're not enough, that you know you've sinned, 
but that his death and the shedding of his blood is enough. That is how we can say, Lord, I'm found in you. Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to trust you. I want to walk with you. That is where relationship begins. And that's what this story can remind us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, even for people who would double-cross him, even for people that would deny him, even for people that would walk away from him. And not just that, even from disciples who wouldn't really connect the dots. See, I think there's an audience, maybe in this room today, that has, has never known Jesus, has never put the dots together and said, I need to identify with his blood. I need to surrender my life to him. I also think there's people that look like the disciples in this story when Jesus died, they were like, ah, we don't know what this is about, and just kind of walked away for the weekend and walked away for a season. I think there are people that would say, you know what, I, I used to understand what it meant to follow Jesus. I used to walk with him, and I've been distracted. I've been kind of busy. I think this story can be a wake-up call for both audiences. Those who have who have never known what it meant to follow Jesus, those who have never meant what his, his sacrifice meant, and those who have also said, yeah, yeah, I kind of get that, but I'm in a busy season. Today is a, is a wake-up call for both of us. While you were busy, distracted, and turning your back, Jesus gave his life for you. And while you were uninterested and didn't care, Jesus gave his life for you. And regardless of what your story is, you can know today that you can trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and you can be found in a relationship with him. And we want to celebrate that today. We want to be reminded of that today. So I want to just let you know a way that, that you can respond. If you never knew the story of Jesus giving his life, maybe you've, you've never really come to grips with the fact that, that we think we know better than God and, and we're defined by sin, but that Jesus came to give his life to pay the price for our sin. If you want to make the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, to be found in him, we're gonna I'll put a, a phone number on the screen and you can text Jesus to that number. And we're going to follow up with you because we would love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, what it means to know him, and to know that you're not depending on yourself anymore, but you're depending on what he did on the cross. You can text Jesus to that number. We will personally follow up with you and talk to you. And for those of us who would maybe say, you know what, I've kind of been like the disciples. I, I knew that. I depended in that. I think I had found that or heard that, and yet I've walked away. I've strayed away. We're going to have a moment right here now where we get to celebrate the bread and the cup and recenter our lives, refocus our minds and our lives on what Jesus did for us at the cross. So my hope and my prayer is that you'll take a moment, talk to God, come back to him and restore that relationship. Let me pray as we continue to worship. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the moment, God, that you gave your life on the cross and thank you for the moment that we get to celebrate that. God, we are humbled by your sacrifice. We are humbled by how you gave your life for us. And so, Lord, we want to, we want to remember that today. God, my prayer is if there's anyone in the room that has, has never realized, Lord, that that they can be found in you, that all of the emptiness, all of the things that we try to fill our lives with and fill the hole in our lives with can be made right in you. I pray that they will reach out today, that they will trust you, that they will surrender their life to you, that their identity won't come from the things they've done, but their identity will come from you giving your life and you shedding your blood. God, be with us now as we celebrate. Be with us now 
as we do something that you've asked your church to do for hundreds and thousands of years, God. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.